Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast for 2024. And we all know a new World Cup cycle often brings new coaches all around the world, uh, perhaps new players being introduced, but it's also a big change in the podcast world too. I'm Christy Doran, the Raw Rugby Editor, and I've been tasked with a very, very big uh, one in terms of coming in and, and filling the lofty uh, shoes of Brett McKay and Harry Jones, who are off to other things, other ventures with their own podcasts. Wish them all the best and thank you for their efforts over the years. But it also means that I'm going to be introducing a new co-host for this year for the Raw Rugby Podcast, and that's a two-time World Cup member, a man who played 59 tests over about a decade for the Wallabies, and that is Mr. Matt Tamua. How are you? G'day, Chrissy. Yeah, good, mate. Uh, excited to join. Not sure uh, if I'll be able to fill the shoes of uh, Harry, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. There's plenty of ground to chew over, and it's been a pretty tumultuous few months, certainly since the World Cup. We know it was a disappointing campaign for the Wallabies, crashing out in the pool stage for the first time. But we know as well, a new Wallabies coach with Joe Schmidt. I'm super interested to hear what your thoughts are around him. But more recently, in the headlines, uh, the Melbourne Rebels, the future of them, the future of Super Rugby, which starts in less than a week's time. So we'll be covering all that sort of ground uh, and we'll also be welcoming Nick White onto the podcast in a little bit on the other side of this. So Matt Tamua, it is pretty early on a Sunday morning in Japan. Whereabouts are you? Yeah, so uh, at a place called Fujisawa, which is near Chigasaki, which probably means nothing to you, uh, but basically on the water down south, uh, not too far from Tokyo. So about an hour or so into Sagamihara, which is where I train. So um, yeah, it's a pretty good area, actually. It's not too built up as uh, most of Japan is. Get a normal-sized house and normal-sized roads. So uh, mate, it's pretty good. What does that mean from a coffee perspective when it's early on a Sunday and it's in the middle of winter? Uh, what's your situation there? You said yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said earlier, I um, had a little bit of an emergency this morning. Woke up and went to the machine and it was empty, so I had to jump on a bike um, and go to the local vending machine. Um, which, to be fair, winter they um, they're, they're heated. So I got two of these. Um, this is not product placement, believe it or not. They aren't sponsored of the show. I don't even know what brand they are, to be fair. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty desperate. I didn't want to be uh, too lethargic on the pod, so I tried to jam two of them, and uh, we'll see how we go. Because you are a big coffee drinker. Have you still got your cafes down in Canberra? Yeah, yeah. Um, got got quite a few there now, a little, little cafe group, two before 10. Check it out if you're down there. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit coffee obsessed. We're pretty lucky here, actually. We've got a nice little machine at work. Yeah, I get my little fix that way. It's, it's a little bit slim pickings in Japan. They're not really um, into the third wave coffee culture that we have in Australia or Melbourne. I'm sure if, if you stay there long enough, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a uh... If, if you open up a cafe there and it probably go bonkers. What what actually took you over to Japan? And we know that you kind of toured and we spent a long time around the world. You played at Leicester Tigers and came back to the Melbourne Rebels after mm. a long stint at Rumbies. And then you've been in Japan now for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Oh, same reason I did this pod, the money. Um, no. <laughs> uh, no, you know, a little, little bit of that, I guess. Um, I was uh, the end of my kind of career. I, I came here just before the World Cup. I probably started to realise my form wasn't as good as it needed to be for the World Cup. And um, 
yeah, I thought I'd probably need a new, new, um, new challenge. Um, and yeah, Japan's really good in terms of the time zones, only one or two hours, uh, depending on what city, but yeah. And then it's a quite easy flight. So as you said, I was in England beforehand and that was pretty, uh, pretty isolated from Australia. So yeah, it's been really good. Uh, a little bit easier on the body here. Um, but there's lots of, lots of running. Yeah. There's own, its own challenges with, uh, foreign players. You can't have too many on the field. You, you can only have about three or four and then it's good. I've really enjoyed it. It's been like a little bit re reinvigorating after a few hard years with COVID and whatnot down there at super. Yeah. And one of the fascinating things about the Japan league one and, uh, league two there is it's really picked up, uh, massively. You just have to look at the influx of all blacks players that have left since the world cup and from Brody Retallick to Aaron Smith, uh, Artie Savini, Sam Kane all up there. Did you see yourself? Was this like a long time in the, in the making going to Japan or, or did it interest you many, many years ago? And it's just when you know that you're at the tail end of your career, that it was a good opportunity to get up there. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say it was a long-term plan. Um, it's very much kind of after a couple of years of where I probably didn't get selected for the Wallabies. And as I said, my form wasn't as good. And you start realizing, look, there's probably not a huge future in Australia um, at the moment. And maybe I need to look elsewhere a little bit that, that like, yeah, it was kind of, it, it all happened pretty quickly, but yeah, it's been really good. There's it's, it's never a case of you go somewhere. It's, it's a lot easier. There's a lot more expected of you here. Um, Cause you can only have a certain amount of foreign players in a team and, particularly playing uh, fly half or center, you, you know, you've got a half coach, a lot of it. Um, yeah. So you, you definitely, um, yeah, you definitely worked hard here. As I said, there's a lot more expectations. So it's been really good. Uh, as I said, I've really enjoyed it. And the, it kind of has come out of this amateur age where you've still got players that are workers for various companies and it's very much company driven the, the Japanese competitions. What does that mean from a day-to-day -day life in terms of training differences and, um, you know, even from the, the language barrier, how does it go from a operations perspective when you're out there and you're the 10 calling the shots? Yeah. Like, have you picked up Japanese along the way? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. So all, all the teams, for those who don't know, all the teams are named after companies. Um, so they're essentially a way that big companies, or it's in the past, they're a way that big companies kind of, either kept up morale or, or, or built um, a little bit of a culture within the company. So my team is uh, Mitsubishi. Um, we play against, you know, Panasonic and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it is interesting. Traditionally, they had a lot of company workers who would work nine to five and then they'd come and train in the afternoon. Um, it has evolved a little bit now. Like, so we only have about three or four uh, company workers um, and they're company workers by choice, uh, basically. So they have a job after rugby. So it's, um, it's a little bit different, but look, operationally, it's pretty good. Um, it's pretty normal in the sense that we have, most of our coaches are all foreign. Um, so they're Kiwis. Uh, so we train kind of normal hours. Um, a lot of the stuff is, yeah, it's, it's very similar to what you do at home. The, the language barrier is very, very interesting. Um, so we have, you have a few players who can speak both languages, but we have translators running on the field. So a lot of your water boys might be, you know, okay coaches or whatever but they they can translate so that's um that's a little bit more interesting yeah and then from my point of view when when you're saying cause i often got to say things with a either japanese accent or um you're in real poor 
uh, Japanese. So yeah, I, I find if I add O to things, it, it, it helps. So Paso, Tomato, and uh, on the righto. Uh, <laughs> so, but it's, uh, no, it's good. We, we do Japanese lessons and whatnot and try our best, but uh, under pressure, it can be interesting. So there might be a few, a few people wondering why Matt Tamura's jumped in on the podcast. He's up in Japan. How much Super Rugby is he really watching? Why have you decided to, to jump on the pod? Money, mate. I told you. It's uh, put, put my daughter through private school. <laughs> no, look, <laughs> I, I, uh, oh, I still love the game. Um, always have. It's, I guess it's rugby was always a hobby for me first. And then um, I was you know, very fortunate enough to make a career out of it. Um, I still watch all the Super Games. Stan use it on the dodgy VPN over here and uh, watch all the games. And um, I think they still give it to me for free. They might, I might still be on the. Uh, they might still think I'm playing down there, so don't tell them that. But uh, yeah, oh, mate, I, lo- I love footy. I love rugby. Um, very passionate about uh, rugby in Australia as well, uh, where it's going. Um, still got a lot of mates there as well, so I like to message them and yeah, see how it's all going. It's kind of a way of keeping in touch with everything. Do you get the feeling like a lot of the expats that go up to Japan, do they still keep watching Super Rugby or, or do they just kind of pass switch off? Uh, no, nah, I reckon most watch it, eh? Um, we, you, you'll come in on, say if we've got a game on Saturday, you'll come in and everyone will be talking about the game the night before or if we're travelling, um, the foreign boys will be watching it on their phones. Um, you know, as much as we're engrossed here, we don't know too many people in the in the other League One teams other than the foreigners. Whereas, you know, most of us are still kind of connected to where we grew up or where we played. So, um, yeah, no, I think everyone kind of still keeps in touch um, with the Super. So it's uh, yeah, it's nice. All right, let's get into a couple of thorny sort of things now. We we want to make sure that here the Royal Rugby Pod that we continue to be engaged with those that are listening. So please, in future episodes we, we do want to be hearing your questions so shout out whether or not on the twitter sphere feel free to get in touch via email uh, whatever methods and, and means that you're able to but yes we please questions or if you want shout outs to your, your certain clubs that are perhaps celebrating milestones get in touch a couple of big things and we, we've already hinted upon them but joe schmidt new wallabies coach when did you kind of get the sense that he perhaps might be in the running for it? And what's your impressions been in the first uh, almost a month since he was announced in, in the mid-Jan uh, as Eddie Jones' replacement? Yeah, I think I think once um, Peter Horn got signed, um, probably it started to, you know, you hear whispers that, you know, the, the connection, the Irish connection, um, I think we were speaking to Nussie for a while, and which was, which was very smart. So, yeah, I guess... Uh, you know, a guy like him, he I think he would have been top of the, the pile in terms of people to aim for. Whilst we've got some good Aussie candidates, I think his his uh, record kind of speaks for itself. Heard he's a very detailed uh, person, very, very, yeah, like, yeah, very hard on on the guys, which I think is, is what we need. Um, you know, it, probably, I think, last year, if you look at a couple of the games, we, you know, very much had this kind of romantic idea of how we want to play rugby, heads up rugby, and and no structure and all that kind of stuff. And as much as that's exciting and we, we, it sells, uh, it, it doesn't win games. And for us to win games, we need to kind of build a, a strong base. So, you know, hopefully Joe can do that. It's always, it's always an exciting time this time of year because, you know, there's no games up on the weekend so it's always always quite positive so no i think it's a it's it's an awesome get uh i don't think there's many 
coaches out there really who, who who we would have preferred other than him. So I think it's a it's a huge get. But uh, yeah, the work starts now, I guess. Someone who was who was linked, and I know for a fact that he was interested without necessarily necessarily publicly coming out and saying I want to be the Wallabies coach is is Dan McKellar. What did you you would have been coached by Dan? Uh, maybe not as a head coach because I think you left to join the Tigers. Um, before yeah. he was announced, but you would have seen him from a, an assistant coaching perspective and, and maybe even the Wallabies as well. Yeah, yeah, Dan, Dan, and once again, he's one of he's one of the you know the very good Aussie uh, candidates. Look, I, I think he so he's just signed at Tigers for for a few years. Look, I reckon in three years' time he's going to be an amazing candidate, like even better um, coaching a team like Leicester uh, in a in a different environment. There, they've got three competitions that they've got to manage, that they've got a squad manage, they've got, um, you know, the seasons, they've got to play against different teams. I think having that Northern Hemisphere experience is really good. Uh, I know from a player's point of view, going there, coming back, you, your problem solving is, is a lot higher because, as I said, you're, you're managing seasons, you're managing different teams, you're managing all sorts of things. So, um, look, I, I, I think Dan would have been great, but I think he'll be even better in three years' time, basically. So I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of glad that we've got Joe now and look, I wouldn't be surprised if we head down the McKellar route a, a little bit later. Yeah, and it's interesting that you know, I think Joe Schmidt, perfect candidate, and he's got the runs of the board. Uh, he managed to turn the All Blacks around a fair extent, I think. Mm. He and Jason Ryan, when they came mm. in, uh, to join Ian Foster's coaching team in, in the middle of 2022. It does kind of raise questions around coach development in Australia, though, because with the exception of perhaps Bernie Larkin as well, who you know really, really well, there weren't that many strong Australian candidates, were there? And, and like you've been coached at a national perspective by what you and McKenzie, Michael Checker, Dave Rennie. Where do you see Australian coaching? the Australian coaching kind of ranks now having kind of experienced some of the best not that long ago to yeah, yeah. a bunch of guys at the moment that don't have that much kind of trophies behind them or, or international experience behind them either. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's a, I think it's a few years ago, but I, I, I think it's probably one of the number one areas we can improve. Um, we have this tendency in Australia to think that the head coach is going to solve everything. Uh, we hire him, we, give him free reign and then if he doesn't we get rid of him and then he you know he's out and we go with the new guy and then and there's there's just no kind of succession um planning everything is you know it's just flipped on its head and then we've got to get a new coach and then we've got to completely learn thing um and we get excited by it all goes and then you know and then the honeymoon period's over and then we, we get rid of them and you see that on a international level, like a lot, obviously, but you see that at, at a club level in Australia. And I, I just think building, like whilst we want results in Australia, and I think it's often driven by that because we are competing in such a competitive market with league and AFL and whatnot. I don't know, clubs maybe feel like they've got to be seen to, to making a stand or not accepting losses like that that kind of succession planning or just that stability it's not there it's not there enough in in rugby and i think brumbies have probably done it the best you've seen um you've seen a couple coaches come here and there and then but then you see you know a lot of guys in the background are stay so like a guy like laurie fisher has been there for ages you know, he's he, you know you're going to get kind of get the same thing and then we've moved dan and and uh 
Stephen Larkin comes back in and there is just a little bit of succession. There is kind of a, a Brumby's way. So I think that's, yeah, that, that for me has been something that's probably annoyed me a lot when, when, when I played, um, you know, a coach goes and then you've got to learn a whole new system. And yeah, I think we're just asking too much of coaches. I think it's a bit hard on them, to be honest. There's no kind of coach development, you know, how are they learning? Where are they learning from? And we don't give them kind of a little bit of grace. We just think that off their head coach, they should know everything. And it's not the case. You don't think about that with players. If, if an, a player comes and he, he, he plays poorly or whatever, you, you might, you know, you develop him as a player or it takes a little bit of time to get his form back. I think coaches probably need a little bit of the same. We're, we're going to get to Nick White in just a second. I know that he's standing by patiently. Um, if there was one or two things that you want to see from a Joe Schmidt kind of uh, coaching regime to begin with, one or two areas, maybe simple fixes, uh, perhaps building the coaching team, what what would it be? Oh, man, I think like anyone, we just kind of want results. <laughs> I know that's a, it's a bit <laughs> hard to see. It's a little bit hard to say. Look, I, I think stability, I, like these things take time. Um, I'm by no means expecting us to be back to number one, number two in the world in, in a year's time. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, I just think seeing some stability, seeing some vision um, will be good. Um, I think we've, we've seen already that the change in the head coach is not always the answer um, to what we need. There's a lot more with it. So I think somehow engaging the, the super clubs, seeing some progression and just seeing a little bit of logical decisions within within selection and, and long-term planning would, would be good. So a little bit of a boring answer, I know. Um, but yeah, as much as anyone, I'm, I'm, I'm keen for results, but I just think that, yeah, it, it will take a little bit of time. Well, speaking of a man who's going to know a little bit about that and perhaps the direction we need to go to, but also someone that's gone to a new franchise is Mr. Nick White. He'll be joining us in a second. Nicholas. <laughs> hey, yo. Just for anyone who's watching this, Whitey's put his name as Gecko. He was trying to get everyone to call him Gecko one time. He goes, mate, I've, I've got this new nickname. I reckon you can call me Gecko. So I'm just trying, I'm trying to say... <laughs> Look at him. He's checked it on now. Tell us, mate, tell us a little bit more about the gecko. You're sitting in a car there for those that aren't watching. You're probably on your way to the Western Force training. What's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm sitting outside HQ. Um, gecko, no, <laughs> I didn't push it. it um, I was, when I went to Exeter, we had a, a sand dune session, and um, I was doing all right with my funny little legs running up the, the sand dunes. Um, and, and Johnny Hill, one of the funny buggers over there, um, that David Attenborough series where that lizard, I don't think it's a gecko actually, but that lizard running away from all the snakes um, with funny little bowed legs, um, that came out that night. So that, that got put up, put up and um, gecko kind of stuck. And I was pushing it because when I got back, it was Righty and Whitey, Tom Wright and Nick White, and that was kind of bugging me. So I pushed gecko. And uh, the more I pushed it, the more guys pushed back. It's never stuck. Whitey always had uh, Woody from um, Toy Story, um, if you look at the shape of his legs. But I'll never forget when Whitey, um, your debut, and uh, I think it might have been Paul Cully described you as a, an energetic player who looks like he just jumped off uh, a lengthy ride on a well-fed horse. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's great memory. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I certainly have very distinct legs, a distinct gait. Well, you still got that energy, don't you, Nick? And uh, a new Super Rugby franchise, uh, the Western Force. Mate, how pumped are you? Because 
I know that you're pretty passionate about staying at the Brumbies, but are you glad that you've managed to make a new home out of, out of the force? Yeah, I am. It's been it's been uh, it's been really refreshing coming across here. You know, Chronos far exceeded my expectations of, of where these guys are at. Like it's a it's a really well run program. You know, lifestyle, obviously, you know, it all starts at home. <laughs> Mel and the kids are really enjoying it, and if they're happy, I'm happy, and and allows me to come to work every day, nice and early, with a smile on my face. And they've they've got a lot, a lot of things right over here at the moment. You know, Chrono and the coaches have signed on for a long long. You know, a few more years and, um, you know, there's good stability here and uh, they've got a vision for where they want to take it and all those things kind of make it easier for us to just kind of head down, bum up and go about our work and, and we've been doing plenty of that. Nick, what do you think about your, uh, the new co-host of the Royal Rugby Podcast, Matt Tamur? Are you surprised <laughs> that he's jumped on? No, I think he's uh, he's good. Oh, I, I, a little bit surprised with where he's at at the moment. The both of you, actually. Yeah, fresh dads. Gee whiz, you guys would be swimming. Some just trying to get a, there. just trying to get a reprieve, mate. It's been a hard, <laughs> hard couple of nights. No, yeah, for, yeah. full disclosure, well, Christy actually tried to get Whitey, but he couldn't afford him, so they they went down the list a little bit. Uh, so the the raw budget's a little bit tighter than we thought. Uh, so they've <laughs> they've they got went, the, they the ex player. Oh, I thought oh, I'd, I'd, I thought I'd do something. Oh, what that is. They started with a bloke who's got three kids and worked his way back down to a bloke who's only got one who's still got a little bit of time. But, uh, well, much like Joe Schmidt, you've always got to look uh, to your, you know, your own backyard before you, you go elsewhere. And so I just thought, you know, Nick White's playing here and uh, Matty Tamur obviously up in the land of the rising sun. But uh, tell us a bit more about you guys. You guys played like, alongside each other for, for so, so long. Is it a bit weird when when that kind of relationship partnership not breaks up it's but but you end up going on your own kind of ventures and doing your own thing don't you yeah it's um you know, obviously started right back we're talking we're going right back with with maddie he taught me all about professionalism got some some cracking stories you know maddie came out of school uh very professional i was uh I was eating meat pies, Kit Kat chunkies, uh, Monaco bars, and no wait, you, you were eating, you were eating meat pies. He, he thought he was fancy, so before a session, he he was at home and he, he had two meat pies, but he was eating it with knife and fork, and he thought that was like healthy, so he didn't change it. He had his he had his uh, tomato sauce there, and he's eating. I go, mate, what are you doing? He goes, what? I'm I'm eating. I've got lunch. Very, very raw at the time, but I, look, I don't think I think I was eating sushi or something anyway, so it wasn't much better. No, you, you took me under my wing, and um, you know we've uh, we've always been pretty close. We've uh, I think the most stinks I've had with any player is is Maddie. We've had a few of them as well, and uh, we quickly become best mates. And you know, luckily we've had some. Yeah, you know, we've we've also shared some journeys overseas. Obviously, went to Leicester, went to Exeter, and we caught up plenty over there. And it is. No, it's been exciting. Also, like, you know, we, we, we kind of went apart, but we've also kind of the journeys come back together. We came back to the Wallabies together. Um, it, it's, been, it's been a very cool journey, and um, you know, I've been pretty lucky to, to have someone like Matty, who's, um, I think you guys are pretty lucky as well to have him on, you know, the podcast, because he not only knows the game really well, he, you know, he's been, you know, in it for the longest period of time. He's someone that I've always, you know, if I'm a bit pickled on what's happening in the game, um, he's the first person I ask, so... You got a good rugby brain right there. Yeah, he's got quite the rap there, Matt. 
Mm. Jesus, a bit of pressure now. Thanks. No, there's not. <laughs> just, speak, just speak your mind like you always do. <laughs> I, 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 th- I thought of actually having a, a beer or two before I jump on here, but, it, but Christy decided to get us. Oh, well, no, you decided to get us up at 7.30 in the morning. So I think that's uh, probably frowned upon. <laughs> well, I'm sure that'll come in the episodes to come. Uh, Mick, it's, it's less than a week before Super Rugby starts. I imagine you're busting your gut to get out there because you probably get sick of pre-seasons. What is this, about your 15th or so? I think so. Not quite as many as Matty. I Mm. I will tell you a funny story. Matty almost broke me on my first pre-season. So I left school and Andy Friend kind of said, well, mate, do you want to come down and join the Brumbies or do you want to go to schoolies? Because I'd booked schoolies. And I was like, well, that's an easy decision. See you later, schoolies. I'm heading down. And... I go down there in our first session and camera kind of pollen in the air has hit me. I'm a bit of an asthmatic and I'm struggling. Like I'm talking, I'm really struggling. So we've got this, I've got the guys, the likes of Matt Tamura, who are like 20, 25, 30 kilo heavier than me at this stage. And we're going to wrestle and run. And, and I've lost every single wrestle. So we wrestle in the in goal. I sprint out to the 22, come back. And I've got, I don't know, like there who just throws me straight on the ground. Sweet. Out I go again. And I'm doing this for like 10 minutes. And then I head over, and I've never done a three-point st- stance in my life. And, and Marshy goes, all right, on the line, everybody, we're doing 600-meter sprint, three-point stance. We go and do a 600-meter sprint. I was comes back, and he goes, one, one of you, why bloody do a three-point stance? I didn't know what that was. It's like, mate, it's my first day. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling bad because, you know, the likes of guys like Sterling Mortlock are looking down the line like, who's this prick making us do extras? <laughs> and it's me. Me, 18, 18 years old, and anyway, so then I've had to do a couple of extras on my own on the side because I don't know what I'm doing, and then I come running back, and I think Maddie can see the kind of I'm welling up in my eyes. I'm I'm fully broken. And I said to Maddie, I said, "Oh, mate, how long to go?" And he goes, "Oh, we're about halfway." And in my in my mind, in my mind, I broke. I was like, "Oh no, we're done. Like I, I cannot do another of this. Like if that's halfway." Weren't, weren't you asking minute. for your asthma puffer? You were like, oh, oh shit, I'm going to go get my asthma yeah, puffer. I, I couldn't breathe at the time. I'm trying to take in some Ventolin and, and I'm like, oh, no, I can't do this. Oh, this, this is too much for me. And then as, as I hear Marsh, he goes, all right, we're done. That's it. I looked across at Matty and he's he's laughing as I'm literally welling up, trying to get some air in my lungs. I was like, yeah, well done, one nil. And that was the yeah. that was the start of pre-season one and here we are 15 later and, to be honest, not a lot's changed. Still struggling, but they're all they're all difficult. Less pollen over there, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. But um, no, it's been good. It's been a really good preseason. I'm I'm chomping at the bit to get through this one and get to round one. And um, we're here. It's Sunday morning here, but it's like a Monday because we've got a Friday night game. So I'm sitting in the car park now of HQ, ready to get ready to get in there. Very flash, very flash. That that wasn't the preseason we got banned from writing those posties because you were. Going up, uh, what do they call it? You're going trying to do jumps on it. We all had these posties, Christy. The um, what are they? Honda C two one two fives or whatever. We bought them at the auctions, and we had about five of us used to go to training in them. And then Whitey decided to try and do some jumps and whatnot off speed bumps, and then we all got banned from using it for a while. But uh, we had a good little group actually. That was good fun. You can do whatever you want, I suppose, when you're eighteen or nineteen, and uh, you know, in Canberra. No, it's like the, uh, the pyrographics place is the capital of the world almost, isn't it? Imagine you would have got a couple of fireworks happening. Uh, there was a bit of that going on. It was, uh, yeah, we learned things the, the hard way in Canberra. What? Quite young, but... 
so so you got your opening night yeah it's the hurricanes isn't it and it is yeah you know, it's, it's it's a big first game there's been a bit of a cultural shift at the force there's a bunch of new players does it oh, i imagine a few years ago the western force wasn't the sort of franchise that you were looking at going at but it, they've managed to turn a real corner it seems under crony um new captain in jeremy williams uh, a young captain as well I, I believe you're part of the leadership team you might have kind of had an inkling earlier last week that he was going to be named skipper tell us a little bit more around him and and uh some of the leadership qualities that stand out about jeremy yeah i think jeremy being announced as captain really shows the vision of where the club want to go and i think that's awesome i think you know if as soon as I got here, you can kind of see that Jeremy's a leader. He's, he's the type of guy that leads with a lot of his actions. Um, but, you know, not too dissimilar to, to what I was saying about Matty. For a young guy, you know, really mature head, really professional, um, dragging a lot of these young guys with him. And like I said, it kind of matches where, where the club's at and what they're doing right is you know, a lot of stability, a, a real clear vision of where they want to go. And, um, you know, and he's, he's a huge part of that, not to lump too much pressure on him as a 23-year-old. But... Um, but that's where they want to go. And then they've got such a young squad here. So, yeah, look, um, you know, the, the allure of coming over here was to, to be part of, um, you know, obviously I still feel like I've got some good years, but to be part of building what they've got here already and, and where I want, want to take it. And, you know, myself and Wellesley will um, make sure we look after Jeremy this year. And, um, you know, the, the future is bright, not only for him, but for a lot of the group here, super young. And, yeah, it's uh, the, the next couple of years could be pretty bright over here. Yeah, the, the force as well. Um, you've, you've got Ben Donaldson there. There's Isaac Fines, Leo Oasa, uh, Max Beery, Rajan Pasatola. There's a fair bit of depth that's all of a sudden kind of appeared at force. How's it? I know it's right at the start of the week. You, you might not know what the selection is going to be, but how does that work when you when you come to a new franchise and you've got an incumbent uh, in in Isaac Fines, Leo Oasa, who was also a part of that World Cup squad last year what's the what's the feeling been like in terms of the competitiveness to get that starting jersey between all of you yeah i think um you know we're all competitors at the end of the day and all, all want that jersey but you know the, it's the first thing i did when when I, I knew i was going to the force and going to be announced was i, I called fines in and said you know at the end of the day i'm coming across and i'll you know i feel like i've got some good years left but part of me coming across is i want to make you know give him as much knowledge as i can and make him the best player he can be and and that's the mindset we're taking with the whole group of the nines and tens is, you know, whoever puts that jersey on, it's about us setting them up to do well, setting the team up to do well. So, look, we're competitive. We'll go at it at training as nines and tens and, and the whole way through the team. But at the end of the day, you know, we're real team first here. So, you know, if we can be part of, you know, whoever puts that jersey on, it's about we do whatever we can to make sure that they're right come Friday night against the Canes and, and, and we you know, go out there, put our best foot forward and, you know, perform well, and if we perform well as a team, um, we'll be right there at the you know the the pointy end. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's really just putting that team first um, forward as much as possible. And you know, I've got an opportunity here now, like you said, with a guy like Finesy to really show that. And um, I'm excited by that challenge, and it's a different part of my career. I understand that, and and you know, and I'm enjoying it. You know, and um, get a chance. You know, there's a guy here, Henry, Henry Robertson, as well, who's a young nine, and um. You know, really enjoying classy on as much as I can. And look, if if they go they go on to make it, I'll, I'll feel like I'm part of that story. The, the other big one at the moment is Nick. Uh, a few days time, the the, the new Wallabies documentary is going to be aired. The Wallabies 2023. Uh, 
I know a few people have been uh, interested to see oh. how it kind of plays out. What, what do you think? Are you looking forward to watching it? And you're a key character that that I know that the punters will be able to see and acknowledge. Uh, you get a bit of an insight into your family and what it's like um, being a, a father as well as a Wallaby. Yeah, I think the documentary will really shed light on, um, I guess, more than just the rugby side of things. I think probably everyone's hoping to see uh, the car crash unravel. And I'm not sure it'll be so much about, um, you know, Eddie and, and the going-ons of um, our meetings and, um, you know, the tech, you know the, the technical and tactical side and, and therefore lacking and, and all that. It'll be more about, you know, the, the characters and, um, you know, a, a, a little bit of what you said, you know, you know, you're seeing a little bit of kind of like what, what I go through with um, having three boys at home and Mel and, you know, guys like Alan going through his injury and, um, you know, the type of guy he is. And, and I guess the hope is that people, you know, know us better um, and then are therefore invested more when they watch the game. Hopefully they feel like they know the likes of these characters, um, you know, a little bit better. So they're watching the game, they feel like they know us because, you know, they're a part of the journey as well. Um, they're, they're, you know, part of the rebuild that we're going through. And, um, you know, we all, we've all got to do it together. So... But we're just hoping to, you know, the documentary shows that sort of uh, yeah, our personalities um, because there's certainly some, some awesome personalities within that group. Um, obviously, there's, yeah, we know how it ends up. <laughs> so there's no surprise there. But um, there's, yeah, a, there's a spoiler a alert, isn't there? Yeah, jeez. <laughs> how, but, um, how'd it feel? Um, yeah, how'd it feel, obviously, when it got sold? Oh, we only got sold to the public. I know when I saw it, you're like, oh, this would be awesome little fairy tale. Um, Eddie coming back, all the young boys. And then things didn't work out as good as they, uh, as we would have liked. Did you Did you sometimes wish that the cameras weren't there at that point? You're just like, oh, listen, mate, you probably yeah. don't need you at this point. Like, was it was it an, a weird feeling? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I certainly, um, and a few of us were like, oh, we're going to get you know, want the cameras out of here and want, don't want to be, you know, much a part of this. This is, yeah. this is going pear-shaped. And, um, you know, they, they reassured us that it was, uh, you know, a lot, a lot about, you know, the hard work we were putting in and around the personalities and, and things like that. So, you know, also I think Eddie had a fair say on, on what, what gets shown. So I think that was always going to, um, you know, play its hand as well. Um, so, look, it's, I, you know, I think it'll it'll be really good to like I said to see the personalities of it and you're right like when we were sold on it you're like this is going to be unbelievable to you know you've seen all the the really good ones you don't want to be a part of the one though that where it all goes absolutely pear shaped and and it's filming all of it so um, but that's part and parcel and um, but like I said I you know from from knowing that Eddie had a, a, a fair bit of say on, on what what's shown and and what isn't it you're not going to see I guess the the full, the full, the, the the technical, tactical, more the, you know, the kind of what you know is coming, and, and a lot around the personalities. So, it'll, it'll be a good viewing. I'll, I'm in, I'm looking forward to watching it, um, and can't wait for it. We'll have to let you jump out in a second, Whitey. Um, but just want to get your ideas on on Joe Schmidt. Are you excited by him coming on board? Uh, and a second part question to that: Do you, do you think that Joe would be uh, willing to allow the cameras to come in for a a Stan Wallaby's Doco Part Two. <laughs> part Two, so he was a follow-up. Um, yeah, I, I am excited by by Joe coming in. I think he's, um, you know, his kind of resume speaks for itself. What he did with Ireland, um, you know, I think 
hearing from what the guys like you know Dane Coles are saying about him as well. Like I haven't met him, I haven't spoken to him, um, but you know a lot of people saying like he, he's really accountable. You know it sounds very Dave Rennie esque in terms of the way he sees the game, but heard even more so in that you know if you've got a job, do your job. Uh, very accountable, uh, very you know pretty structured, and you know I think we we need that for where we're at as a, as a team. It's certainly very. Very different to what we had in 2023, um, and you know what we know is that all the really good sides in the world are doing that. So I'm excited by that. I know he's a, from what I hear, a hard taskmaster, and, and, and that's a, that's good as well. Um, and look, it's, there's obviously a whole lot about him we don't know, and I'm looking forward to that. And and he's been in the All Blacks camp. That's 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 good as well. You can that's ask him well. any questions around that. Would he bring the cameras in? You'll have to ask him. Yeah, I think he'd be. Yeah, I think we just want to. We're in a position now where we're just head down, bum up, right? You know, but we've also got to sell the game. I understand that, but um, there's probably a fair bit of hard work that needs to go in first. And I, I get the feeling like there's no chance in the world that Joe Schmidt would want the cameras being brought in there, uh, having described himself as as boring just uh, in his first press press conference. But look, I, I want to ask you before I let you go. Um, Yes, it seems on the surface that Rugby Australia got it horribly wrong getting rid of Dave Rennie, uh, but how disappointed are the two of you, having both played under him and, and Nick, you went to the World Cup, how disappointed are you that he wasn't allowed the opportunity to take the group forward to, to the campaign in France? Yeah, I, I got it. Um, yeah, especially, yeah. Like, just so disappointed for him as well. Um, but also the the feeling of where we're at and, and where we're going, I was just, yeah, really disappointing. Yeah, I I thought it sucked as well from my point of view. We he had worked on it for three years, um, laying the foundation, and we just got we I don't know under pressure. We we made the wrong call in my mind. Um, so kind of feels like uh, why didn't I speak about this recently? Actually, it kind of feels like we're back at the start of that three-year cycle or four-year cycle now with someone who's going to try and implement some, you know. Whereas, um, you know, I spoke earlier about that kind of succession planning. It would be nice to be four years along. Yet we've kind of just um, gambled and gone gone the way back. So um, yeah, it is a bit. Well, what is it? What is it that stood out about Dave Rennie and just his coaching ability? And yeah, it's a New Zealander that's replacing him as well, or, or now in, in the you know in the in the top coaching job. Is there a distinct way that they coach, or or they are subtle differences? I I find the Kiwis better tactically. So week to week, they'll they'll add or change a few things tactically. Um, one thing people probably don't realise about a lot of the Kiwi coaches are they are extremely structured, very very structured. They allow they they put a structure in place which allows you or freedom to, to use options with that. So you, you know where your players are going to be, um, but you're not sticking to a script. You can you can play out the back, over the top, you know, kick, whatnot. Um, but, and there's there's real hard accountability on where the players have got to be and where. So, the, you know, structure is often a word that in Australia we run away from because we like the old free-flowing days. Um, but these days, with as organised as defences are, you've got to have a structure that you can kind of work within. Um, as I say, structure gives you freedom. Um, and, and I think Renz was pretty good with that. A lot of Kiwi coaches are surprisingly very structured coaches. I don't know how you found uh, Cronny and obviously Renz as well, Whitey. Yeah, it's, uh, exactly right. Like we're, we're scared of the word structure, but it's it's not 
structured in terms of uh, you know strict. The options are all available, so it's just what it is is everyone has a place in, on the field at any point in time and a job to do. Within that, you've got every option available to like heads up. That is heads up rugby, but what you what you won't have is when you don't have accountability of where you're supposed to be, you you won't get to the point where you know and, and we were out in the World Cup where the whole team is in 20 meters of the field. And you're wondering where, you know, we, we can't use the whole width of the field because, you know, no one's out on the other side. You know, with, with Renz, you know, and I'm fine with, with Connor, it's, it's like, okay, well, where's our eight? Eight travels, you know, you know six and two, you're on, you know, here, you know, centre, centre split. You know, everywhere, everywhere has a job, has a home. And then it's the, the decisions are, like, open, like Matt said. Like, it's then it's heads up. You know where everybody is. Every option is available to you. Now it's about decision making and making the right decisions. So you know, I found it. Though, like I don't think it's a Kiwi thing. Um, I just think it's a you know, good coaches. You know, kind of understand that that you can't just kind of the days of just kind of def- defenses are just too good now. Um, mm. You need to be so far ahead of the so far ahead and and so detailed in you know you need to know who's going to be in that position to be able to clean clean out because defense is just so high line speed and. And so many guys are on the ball these days. You know, it used to be just the you're worried about the seven, you're worried about Pocock or George Smith, but now you've got to worry about every bugger. Like we've got some nines who put their head over the ball now. Yeah, not 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 you just yet, Nick White, but TJ Perinara probably. Yeah, exactly. Some big some some bigger bastards. Yeah, like fullbacks and wingers. Like wingers are putting their heads over the ball. So um, you know what I mean. So you just got to be you got to be ahead of the game. Um, you know, in attack and really really smart. And I'm you know, from from hearing. Good things about Joe Smith's very similar. Dave was very, you know, very, very similar. And you know, even to the point where I thought, you know, Dave's opened my mind to like counter attack and, and how structured and um, you know, that was. And, and he's, he viewed it as a set piece, um, the counter attack. And, you know, there's more counter attack opportunities than there is scrum and line out. So therefore, let's have a plan off the back of it. Let's go two or three phases of where everyone's going to be depending on where you land and where the fullback or wingers or whoever's bringing it back lands and let's have a call for it. And that just, uh, that, I think that blew everyone's mind as well. And um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, again, it's, we look across the ditch and we see all this kind of uh, ball just kind of going around, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more beneath that to, to allow them to be able to do that. Hey, Nick White, so good to have you join the Raw Rugby podcast today. You better get out there and um, hopefully we see this nine ten partnership between you two again on the show at some point. Whitey, are you on Leo's booster seat? Because you're sitting pretty high up on that headrest. It... <laughs> False Mate. advertisement here. You can give his booster seat back. Oh, I'm not giving this away. I am, <laughs> I am boosted is, up. Trick, trick is, that true? is that true? That's on the record? <laughs> it's definitely no, true. No, that'd be silly. That'd be silly. <laughs> are, you allowed them, are you allowed them in the driver's seat over there? Perfect. They do it weird. They do it weird. Just a footrest. <laughs> Nat, thanks for coming on, Rip in all the best for the year and uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Thanks guys. So good to have Nick White. Uh, he is a bundle of energy and he's looking taller all the time on that booster seat. <laughs> um, well played there, Matt Tamua. Uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room here at the moment heading into the Super Rugby season, and I was across the ditch in Auckland for the Super Rugby launch, the Super Rugby Pacific launch, and it was a, it was a really nice event, <laughs> lovely day. I've never seen Auckland look so good. It was, it was the stark contrast from the, 
the often gloomy kind of night skies that the Wallabies enter into a, a Bledisloe cauldron, mm. cauldron. But the Melbourne Rebels, uh, it dominated the Super Rugby discussions. I felt sorry for Rob Leota because every man and their dog wanted to ask about the Melbourne Rebels situation. How was it from a player's perspective? Look, what we know at this point in time is that they will play 2024. Super Round will be played in Melbourne. But beyond that, it looks... Uh, with with twenty million dollars of debt, perhaps as high as twenty two million dollars, uh, it, it looks like they are dead in the water beyond twenty twenty four, and and that's a really tough pill to swallow for a lot a lot of people. You played for the Melbourne Rebels. How are you feeling about the situation? Yeah, it's quite sad, isn't it? Um, I've obviously been messaging a fair few of the guys, um, admin and and uh, players about it, and reading bits here and there i think at the start uh, i didn't believe it i just thought oh yeah we're we're trying to get some press in the um in the in the off season but you know where there's smoke there's fire and it's um yeah it, it, it's really sad uh, i think from a from a playing perspective um you'll, you'll definitely have an emotional response um from guys uh which, which which is a good thing but how long that last ball mate is is probably the question um as the weather gets colder, as you as you start getting a few results that you probably um, didn't expect, and you know some injuries here and there, that's when these things will probably start to weigh on guys. Um, I think initially everyone will be super motivated to play, um, but you, you can't you can't ignore that. You know, there's a lot of job insecurity. There's all sorts of things being said about the team, and um, I dare say there's not going to be too many articles written this year about the rebels where where the financial um, the financial security of the club isn't mentioned. So uh, I think that's really disappointing. Um, hopefully they find a way out of it. I'm not 100% sure if they will, um, or in a way that we would we would like or in a way that kind of resembles what we've got at the moment. But um, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, the, and as well, another thing, players, they're going to be low on um, resources from, club, from the club. And so it's going to be very hard. I think for the players to kind of perform at their best this year. The other aspect, you know, and and this speaks to the necessity for a decision to be made sooner rather than later, is that if the rebels were to stay beyond twenty twenty four, the question is who would be left to actually be there? Because as we speak, there's already Josh Kennedy's moved up to Northampton, and, and undoubtedly a little bit of the insecurity around the rebel situation has has meant that if you're thinking about going you just pull the trigger uh, how many other players are in that situation will be the, the fascinating one we know that guys like Taniela Tupo and Rob Leota are contracted uh, for 2025 but already uh, if, if the rebels weren't to be there they would be able to push a button and, and not just leave the rebels but leave Australian rugby they'd be able to take up options if they want overseas so Guys like Taniela Tupo, Luca Anselakai, Loto, Carter Gordon, who's off contract at the end of this year, they're gonna, it's going to be fascinating to see how quickly and how rock solid they stay with the Rebels over the next few weeks or month before a decision is made about the Rebels, uh, which I think, you know, from a journalist's perspective, is interesting. But that can also be really destabilising if bit by bit players start to leave. As much as you hate to admit it, there'll be guys in the in the change rooms going, "Oh, are you you looking to go elsewhere?" Or, you know, th- there will be little whispers. And like I said, as the year progresses, as the weather gets colder, as as results start, you know, as as it requires a little bit more kind of resilience, um, 
that will happen. That's just that's just the nature of it. And and I think players, whilst I'd be very disappointed, players, you're going to move on because there's only this finite kind of period that you can play, and um, guys will be looking elsewhere. That, that's just the way it is. I think from a a broader view, I just I hope that um, we can retain these guys in Australian rugby. Um, you know, this is this is thinking that the, the rebels don't survive. Um, but if it if it goes that way, it would be nice to see that us actually spread our talent within Australia, and we don't lose guys overseas like we have. You know, Josh Kemney being you know the first kind of example or canary down the coal mine. Um, we'll we'll see how that goes, and hopefully we can keep a lot of guys in 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 Aussie rugby because because we need it. Yeah, and the other interesting aspect is that is how, if indeed they were to collapse, how does Rugby Australia target players to go to specific franchises? And we know that the Waratahs have struggled financially. They're now being come under the Rugby Australia umbrella. But for a franchise that has struggled up front in probably since the likes of Tatafu Pilota now, Wycliffe Palu, uh, Jacques Puig-Gita, since those guys left the franchise, They've struggled up front, so you, you should be targeting, you would imagine, a Taniela Tupo or a Josh Canham and a Lucan Solico Loto. Uh, the Queensland Reds, you know, a, a local guy like Carter Gordon might wish to return, but obviously we're speaking under the assumption that perhaps the Rebels aren't there. There's also the other question is, you know, this is very different to 2017 where the Rebels and the Force were pitted against one another. This, this is a, more or less a financial decision that's been forced upon Rugby Australia, not you know, with themselves having taken out an eighty million dollar loan uh, at the end of last year, they're, they're not really in a position to bring them uh, under, back them up uh, financially, which is probably what they've done in the past, having kind of thrown some money at them to to help uh, secure them. But it's almost for RA and Australian rugby has been discussing whether or not five sides is the way to go, or four sides, three sides. This allows Rugby Australia, I think, to an extent, to not have the blood on their hands like they did back in 2017 when they got ultimately rid of the force, which is such a messy four-month period. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, hopefully, regardless, Australian rugby can start to perform better on the field because we know that the Wallabies have won at less than 40% since 2016, since the World Cup in 2015. That's just not good enough. Uh, and we know that the Super Rugby franchises have struggled too. But... The, the thing that encourages me is that the age profile is greater than what it was last year. There's been a, less players go abroad, uh, unlike in New Zealand where they've lost half the All Blacks started at 15. The, the core base of players will be around Australian rugby that were there last year too. So that's, a, that's an encouraging thing. Um, just looking ahead for the season, Matt, uh, there must be a few players that are getting you excited around uh, where they are. And it might be rookies. It might be guys that are two or three seasons into their career. Who, who's going to catch your eye, you think, this year? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I think, well, just, just touching on what you said before, with, with we do have a, an element of stability. I think the World Cup and the Lions Tour has probably provided us with that. Um, which probably helped us in that sense that guys want to be around for for such um, important kind of series. So that's a good thing. Um, so we can build from that. I think, yeah, look, being a, being a fly up inside 10, I'm obviously looking at a lot of the, the 10s. Um, I'm actually really interested to see how Noah Lolicio goes. Um, he started last year's, uh, the start of the last World Cup cycle, he was um, 
probably the number one 10 there for a while and then had a really significant drop off uh, in selection towards the end, but he, he's gone to Toulon. Um, he had an amazing time there from what I from what I saw as well. He played really well. So it'd be interesting to see how he benefits from that experience because I think that I think that'll do him wonders. I'm interested in the is it Max Bury uh, from the force as mm. well. I thought he was he was quality last year in the games that he played. Um, quite a sensible player. Um, Liner as well. I think he for me I like the way he controlled the game, whether or not he gets the first crack at it, uh, we'll see. But I just, I think he's got that a little bit more, um, maybe not as, uh, you know, offload, sidestep kind of fly half, but just someone who you can build a game around, which I think will be re um, really good. But yeah, look, I'm excited to see a lot of things, I guess. The start of the season's always like that. Uh, I think the Force, uh, for me, are, are a team who are doing good things. We spoke earlier about kind of, succession planning and it, it was nice to hear Whitey say that because um, you are getting that a little bit from them and um, I guess the way the club's set up admin wise and financially they're able to do that which is kind of a, a positive. Yeah and you're right to highlight the tens at the moment because it was once upon a time and I think back to around that 2015 period where yourself Christian Aleofano Quade Cooper, Bernard Foley, there was four really experienced tens that had come through. But after that, there was a sudden drop off and it, it didn't seem like there was any succession planning with tens. Uh, you'd have guys that given the odd opportunity when maybe a Foley was injured, uh, a, Mac, a Mac Mason kind of comes in, for instance, mm. but then he gets chewed up and spat out. Over the last four years with guys like Christian leaving yourself, Bernard Quaid, there's been four years of development, really. We've seen Carter Gordon uh, have his kind of come into his own last year, and I think he'll be better for the World Cup campaign. But you're right to highlight Nola Lecio. Like, hey, back in 2020, he hadn't even played a Super Rugby game. He, he ends up playing for the Wallabies in his first year. How how much improvement do you get having played three, four years of Super Rugby under your belt as a 10? Like, you you you've, by no means the finished product, are you just one or two years into it? And we're very quick to pass judgment on, on 10s after one or two seasons or if things don't work out for the Wallabies immediately. Yeah, you, you look how Noah was managed and then you look how, say, Carter was managed and you, you look at the end of the four years and you say, who's in a better spot? And it's it's an interesting one. Noah was given the reins right from the get-go. I know when I was at Wallabies, he was, um, you know, he was kind of given five, six games or whatever starting. And I think that's a way to go in terms of allowing guys to have confidence. But I, I just, I, I get quite frustrated at how we manage our tens. It, it happened to me as well when I started. You kind of get given a lot early and then um, you're, you're not given time to develop. Um, and a lot of conversations I have with other people, I, I speak about, say, my development and then a guy like Aaron Cruden. Um, by the time we played each other in under-20s, I had 30-odd super caps Aaron Cruden had none the next year you know he he was well ahead of me in terms of his um, development a much better player much more rounded player where I was kind of picking up scraps you know like because probably being given too much too early um, and I just see that happen again with um, with Noah I felt like he got given a lot early um, whereas he would have been much much better to, um, just to develop over time. Ten's a very hard position. You, you obviously, particularly the goal kickers, you've got higher line speed teams now, which is um, which is really difficult. And I thought we did that well with Cart um, right up until the World Cup. I, I feel like we lost 
a year or two of development with him. He he was developing so well. He was, you know, physically ready to play test rugby. You saw that in the way he tackles and the way he takes the ball to the line. And then I feel like we stitched him up at the World Cup. Now I don't feel I feel like he um yeah, I, I don't know if he's better for that World Cup experience. I don't know who's better, Noah or or Carter in terms of experience from that World Cup. I think, you know, Carts went to it, sure, but is that experience that you want to have? Is is that really helpful? I, I, I'm not I'm not certain. So it'll be interesting to see how both those guys respond. Um, because yeah, it's been very different journeys and um I dare say Noah might be saying, Oh, it was a little blessing in disguise that I didn't go to the World Cup. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. Look, it, it, it does mean that heading into a Lions series, I think everything's on the line. Super rugby becomes so important form uh, and continuity of selection. I think Noah Lollicetti is going to be given first crack in the 10 jersey with the Brumbies. Jack Debrasini coming back from a foot injury. So he'll probably get first opportunity there. What happens with the Reds? Uh, does Harry McLaughlin Phillips get a crack over Tom Liner, who's himself coming back from an injury? We know James O'Connor's had a hamstring just recently uh, over at the Western Force. We've got Ben Donaldson, Max Beery, Rajan Pasatala. So three, 10 options there. So there's there's definitely candidates in the mix. That'll be fascinating to see who kind of takes their opportunities. The Another guy that I'm looking forward to seeing this year is, is Darcy Swain. And I think he's got a physical profile that if he can get his discipline right, uh, is a, an exciting player and he's been well-schooled with Dan McKellar and Laurie Fisher. Uh, now the Brumbies have got Ben Mowen there who's who's come in, uh, a bit of a changing kind of the guard with the Brumbies coaching team this year. Before we let you go, there's, there's the first rounds of the competition. It gets underway. It's a really exciting one with the Chiefs and Crusaders. Both sides got some injuries. Chiefs have lost Sam Kane, uh, Peter Garcolacula, uh, Brody Britallic, that's going to be a huge task to kind of get mm. past those sorts of departures, which are which are massive. Rebels, Brumbies, that'll be a really exciting opening clash. Force Hurricanes, as we spoke about with Mick White. The Blues hosting Fiji. Can Fiji kick on with, with Mick Byrne off the back of a, a really impressive World Cup campaign? Highlanders, Moana Pacifica, and then the Reds and the Waratahs up in Brisbane. Can the Tars turn it around after a pretty disappointing trial period? What uh, what one or two games really catch your eye there? I think the opening one, obviously, with Chiefs uh, Crusaders, I think that was the opening game last year from memory, and uh, the Chiefs yeah. did a number on the Crusaders, and then they, uh, as the Crusaders do, they peak at the right time. Um, I'm interested to see the uh, 12 come back for Chiefs. I forget his name really quickly. Darcy, I think, injured him. Um, in a test match. Yes, so. you're talking about Quinn Tupaya. Yeah. Yes, Quinn Tupaya. Yeah, he. Um, I'm very excited to see him. I think he's a he's a he's a quality player. Uh, Chiefs struggled actually. They they just came up here in Japan. They had a couple games. Um, they got dusted by Panasonic. I'm not sure how much of it was their first first string team, but yeah, it's probably not what you want. Um, leading it leading into uh, an opening game against the Crusaders, but. Look, I think the opening game, you, you, it's more excitement about watching it, seeing how it all goes. But, you know, obviously the um, teams like the Crusaders peak at the right time of the year. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm, I'm really excited to see how the Rebels go um, for many reasons. But I think just just uh, how, you know, what's been going on. Um, but I think they've also got one of the best squads in quite a while now. So that, that, that'll be really good. And the Brumbies first up, I know 
the Rebels actually, um, I know when I was there, we, we wouldn't mind playing the Brumbies. We felt like we had the game that kind of suited them a little bit um, and, and managed to get a couple wins here and there. So I think they'll be, they'll be looking for that. That could be a, uh, a good one to start the season. Yeah, uh, there's actually really, I think, mouth-watering matchups all along the way. And it'll be a great kind of early sign about the Western Force, how they go up against a Hurricanes team, generally really physical. And we know that, you know, our friend Nick Watt, first opportunity for him, first opportunity for Ben Donaldson, uh, a bit of a new era there. And if they can make a statement, that's a, a huge moment for Australian rugby because there's been a few false dawns with some of the newer franchises now it's probably a time that you'd like to see them start to make a statement. The Reds' Tars, that's a big one for two different reasons. One, uh, Les Kiss, a new coaching side, uh, having come in for Brad Thorne. But the Waratahs need to get some early runs because if they don't, it could be a really tough season for them. They've got a really tough draw. They've played the Crusaders twice, the Brumbies twice. They've played Fiji up in Fiji. Uh, good luck. They need to get an early win on the board, I think. Otherwise, it could be a tough, tough campaign for Darren Coleman, who's looking for a contract retention himself. Hey, look, that's that's a wrap. Good to see you. I Hopefully your partner and child have been patient, not crying too much in the background. But thanks for coming on board. Really exciting. As we say, please rate, review and get in touch with us via social media. And looking forward to a, a bumpy year ahead. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks for having me. And yeah, everyone, send some uh, questions out. Love to engage and, and, and answer a few questions that uh, we're all thinking. Cheers. We'll see you next week.